everyone. In this episode, I'll share my story of my first Christmas since enlisting in the Air Force, finishing up technical training and arriving at my first permanent base in Las Vegas, Nevada. Talk about a change. This was huge. Let me start with my sincerest condolences and thoughts with those who lost their life and were injured at the Halloween event in Itaewon in Seoul last weekend. As I recall, the streets in Itaewon are indeed narrow. Some reported as many as 100,000 people in a 4-meter-wide area, and it must have been just horrible as the crisis unfolded. By the time the Christmas holiday arrived, everyone was planning their trips home. We had a choice. You can go home on leave, or if you stayed, you would have a bit more freedom and still would have to participate in limited duty requirements. You can bet what most students shows. I had been saving as I learned how much a plane ticket cost. Since food and housing was provided, saving money was relatively easy. Travel was very different then. You made your reservation, and then you paid at the gate on the day of travel. I don't remember exactly how much a ticket cost. I was planning to fly out on Christmas Eve because it was the cheapest day to fly. Anyway, I was getting ready to pack and was tracking my savings to go home. The day before I was to go on leave, I realized I was short by $20. Oh no, this was really bad. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had been going to the chapel for services and knew the chaplain pretty well, so I went to see him and asked him for advice. I just knew my plans were ruined. To make a long story short, he lent me the money. I didn't want to take it, and at the same time, I really wanted to go home. So, I did. When I got to the Albany airport, the flight was canceled going to Plattsburgh, where my family was to meet me. Oh no, this was another disaster. I was in uniform, and remember, the times were very different. I didn't even know what to do. I went to the counter and pleaded my case as to what my options were. Plattsburgh is a small airport, so few flights, few flights went there to begin with. I needed to call my parents, but this was a time without mobile phones, and I was pretty sure they had already left for the airport. Have you figured out what happened next? I bet you haven't. The airline paid for a taxi to take me to Plattsburgh. It was more than a two-hour ride. They also contacted the airport, so my family knew that I was going to arrive, albeit much later. I got to Plattsburgh a few minutes before midnight. Emotions were running high. I'm sure you can understand why at this point. Do you remember our family tradition with the Christmas tree? We got back to the farm maybe an hour or so later. We walked in the house, and I was very happy to be home. Then I walked into the living room, and the tree was completely decorated for the first time. It was beautiful. I couldn't believe it, just for me. It was a great time. Just Sue remembered me, and I was surprised by that. There were questions fired at me about my experience, and I got to visit Mrs. Hotchkiss, the librarian, as well over the holiday. When I told my parents a story about my ticket debacle, they gave me the money to give back to the chaplain, and I was glad that I could pay him back right away. Leaving home after just a couple of days was sad, and yet I was ready to get back to finish training. My flight back would have its own challenges. I got to Chicago, and the flight was canceled because the connection was coming from Boston and there was bad weather. At tech school, there were rules. You had to check into the dorm between 3 and 3.15 p.m. when coming back from leave. There was no way I was going to make that. 
I pondered what to do. My journal says I got a cup of coffee and two donuts. <laughs> anyway, I finally left Chicago four hours later. Since I couldn't get into my room, I stayed with a fellow student leader until the next day. Can you see why I still remember that first trip home? It was awesome, and it was a roller coaster of challenges traveling in winter on airplanes. I've since figured out how to adjust to that and will share them as tips in future short takes. Coming back from the holidays, we just had a couple of weeks left before graduation. I had a few days before classes resumed, so I ventured out more into Denver and Aurora. A life lesson was that many places offered a military discount, so that helped a young airman stretch his money. The people were so friendly at the time, and the increases of freedom outside the class continued to grow as responsibilities in the dorm decreased since newer trainees would take over those responsibilities. Looking back, the way that basic training and tech school came about, there was a softer transition to the real Air Force at a regular base. On January 14, 1977, we got our diplomas and left for the next day. I was sad to leave my classmates and excited to get to my first permanent assignment. Viva Las Vegas, a country farm boy off to the one of the most unique cities in the United States. Looking back after all these years, my recollection is clear as a bell. As this was the case from basic training, we flew to our next base in uniform, carrying that sealed envelope with our records. I landed at McCarran Airport mid-morning. After all, it's a short flight from Denver to Las Vegas. A technical sergeant met me at the airport. I was taken back. He was wearing fatigues. Now, we were taught that we could not wear fatigues off base unless going to and from work. I now realized that he was at work and came to pick me up, so that would have been appropriate. At the time, I thought to myself, this isn't looking good. His name is Tech Sergeant McSweeney, and he would be my second level supervisor. Sergeant McSweeney asked me if it was okay to make a quick stop. By this time, I had less than four months under my belt, and, and he was a tech sergeant. A tech sergeant is five grades above mine. We stopped at a business that from the outside looked a little shady. We went in, and I quickly learned he was stopping to see his girlfriend, who worked as a bartender at the strip bar. Remember, this was still mid-morning. My mind was swirling with thoughts that this was a bad idea. Plus, I had never been in this type of business before. Thankfully, we didn't stay long. No more stops. The next stop was the base. Now it's time to share a bit about where I was. Technically, I was assigned to Nellis Air Force Base, Area 2. Area 2 was two miles away from Nellis along a major highway. And you'll understand why this is important later. The 820th Civil Engineering Squadron, Red Horse, is not a typical squadron. The mission was unique and so was the makeup of the squadron. Normally, Food service personnel are assigned to a services squadron. That is a squadron that includes all the dining facilities on base and other support activities. Squadrons are usually comprised of people along the same mission line. For example, in a security forces squadron, the military police and security personnel would be assigned. A flying squadron would have pilots, and a civil engineering squadron would normally contain specialties like plumbers, carpenters, electricians, and engineers, among others. The 820th was called Red Horse 
because it stood for Rapid Engineer Deployable Heavy Operationable Repair Squadron Engineer. That's a mouthful. So Red Horse is a designation. Red Horse is primarily responsible for building a fully self-contained unit that deploys to build a rapid runway in case of war. In addition, the mission would include building a hardback tent city quickly for incoming troops. Then, the Red Horse unit would go off to do the next mission. During non-war periods, the squadron would deploy to do construction projects all over the Air Force and spent a fair amount of time training for the wartime mission. The unit personnel makeup has everything from officers who are engineers and enlisted heavy equipment operators, all the trades personnel, security forces, food service, administrative, medical, and logistics planners. Since I was in food service, I worked in the dining facility that was run by the host base's services squadron. Notably, because of the unique mission, typically the enlisted personnel are experienced with at least two years of experience. When this was explained by my supervisor, Staff Sergeant Jones, it seemed odd that I was assigned. I had only been in the Air Force for just a few months. I would later learn that I was originally assigned to the typical services squadron at Nellis Air Force Base, and since the 820th were short food service personnel, I was diverted to Red Horse. I would be the lowest grade member of the unit for more than two years. Because of the nature of the unit, our uniform of the day was fatigues, with the pants bloused at the top of our steel-toed combat boots. Since I was a cook, I wore the chef's white uniform. The plus that was that this was a bit more comfortable than the fatigue uniform. We almost never wore the blue uniform. The negative is that, as a member of the squadron, you stood out as the only job specialty that wore a different uniform. So with the lay of the land, here we go. The dorm was a large barracks. Everyone in the first five grades shared a room. And from staff sergeant and above, you had a single room if you lived on base, although you could live off base if you wanted. Unless you were married, you had to live in the dorm for the first three grades. It was a pretty good-sized room with the beds configured as bunk beds. I was on the bottom bunk. There were two latrines or bathrooms with shower facilities on each floor. The building had two floors, so imagine that each wing had the latrine that served about a dozen rooms or so, from my recollection. I was given the nickel tour, given a briefing on the mission, and met my supervisor and learned what my duties would be. I was released for the rest of the day and went to explore. There wasn't a lot to explore on Area 2. There was a post office and a small exchange store, similar to like a 7-Eleven. The main squadron headquarters was a single building, and the operational area where all the equipment was stored and where most of the squadron worked was in another location on the base. I took the shuttle to the main base and wandered about. It was nothing like I've ever seen. There were cacti everywhere, and I found that to be fascinating. Also, instead of grass, many of the buildings had colored lava-looking rocks. Some were green, some were reddish, and some were brown. The base was so large, and it was also home to the U.S. Thunderbirds demonstration team, so that was pretty cool. I checked out where the base laundry was because I would have to take my whites there to have them cleaned for free. I was also curious about going downtown and decided that would have to come later. Now that I was outside of the training environment, I had so much more free time on my hands. 
I was truly more away from home, and my connection with Mom was growing stronger as time went on. We talked multiple times a week. Email would have been so nice back then. I was experiencing so much from that rural upbringing that it was truly overwhelming. I got settled into my room and was anxious to see who my new roommate would be. I was looking out the window when he came out. When he did, I turned around and he was surprised. He said, Who are you? I said, I'm Aaron Terwilliger. He looked at me oddly. Hmm, was I in the wrong room? Then he said, Oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't expecting an Asian person since your name was Terwilliger. It wasn't a negative comment, he was just surprised. Starting work was convenient. I had to walk maybe three minutes to the dining facility from the dorm, so that was great. I met my supervisor and colleagues. The Red Horse personnel were managed by my supervisor, who negotiated our jobs and shifts with the host supervisor. There was a retired Navy cook. I can't recall his name. I th- oh, I do. His name was John, and he was awesome. He knew so much and was so focused on the rules and with how to do things better. I remember he taught me various things, and he would say, this is the best way, and this is the way the Air Force does it for when inspectors are around. One of the most popular ones that he made a little bit differently and better was Rue. The dining facility was very small compared to most because it primarily only served the 200 personnel in our squadron. There was my supervisor, two other more experienced airmen, and me from Red Horse, and the rest were from the base services squadron. I worked different shifts that changed about every two or three months from early morning to prepare breakfast to late at night after the dinner meal. Manning the grill was the worst, especially in the morning, cooking eggs, and then at lunchtime cooking burgers on a hot, greasy grill just wasn't fun. Being the lowest rank, I often got stuck with that, although my supervisor did ensure that it wasn't all the time. I was learning a lot, and I really enjoyed my job. I enjoyed cooking, and I enjoyed making new things. I quickly realized that I should consider going to college to earn a degree and possibly a commission. I also knew that it would take time, and that because of my shift work, it would be a real challenge. Over time, I started taking courses through an extension college. I was focused on doing my job and doing it well. With my newfound freedom from the training environment, I was a little lost at first. Now that I was in the real Air Force, except for work and the occasional dorm cleaning requirements, the rest of my time was my own. My first roommate was a nice guy who answered all kinds of questions that I probably bombarded him with those first few weeks. The first thing I bought was a TV. Since I wasn't allowed to watch much TV growing up, I was really excited about having a TV. I bought a little, I think it might have been a 12-inch, maybe 14-inch, black and white TV. For me, all the shows were new. I remember my squadron mates asking why I was watching reruns. To me, they were new and exciting. The dorm was a crazy place on the weekends. Squadron hours were long, and to let off steam, some would ride motorcycles in the hallways, spray the fire extinguishers, and be a bit destructive of a dorm. I pretty much avoided all this commotion and hid out in my room. Thankfully, my roommate was also not into these activities. I remember being confused. Was this the Air Force I signed up for? It seemed very different from what I thought was a professional, disciplined environment. 
I definitely felt like an, an outsider. I would learn over time that people were routinely punished for this inappropriate behavior. March came and I was promoted on St. Patrick's Day to airman. Now I had one stripe on my uniform and that felt really good. They had to be sewn on my fatigues and blues, but on my white uniform, they were, we used a pin on rank on our collars. I liked that. Remember that my Grammy was proud of her Irish background? Well, the Irish promoted on St. Patty's Day made her very happy. With my newfound freedom, I also decided it was time to try things that I didn't experience growing up. First was smoking. I didn't know you were supposed to inhale. I also tried smoking a pipe, in part because Grandpa smoked a pipe, and so did our commander. Within a few months, I knew smoking wasn't for me. I knew from getting that sip of beer from Poppy that I didn't like beer, but I did try it again, and nope, still don't like it. I wasn't exposed to wine at that point, so I occasionally drank a mixed drink, but I was underage, so that was very infrequent. In the basement of the building, where the base exchange was, there was a post office, very small post office, and the guy who signed there was very cool and befriended me right away. He walked with a limp. Eventually, I spent a fair amount of time with him and would help him out. It was a low-volume post office, and he would take breaks and go to the bowling alley because it was free. The bowling alley on the base had four lanes. He taught me how to bowl. When I worked the early morning shift, I would go with him in the afternoon since most of the squadron would be working their normal duty hours. I also learned why he limped. He had a prosthetic leg. He kept an old prosthetic leg in the back window of his car because people would take a double take seeing a leg against the back window and that made him, that made him laugh. Another six months passed and another promotion. This was awesome. Now I'm an Emmer first class with two stripes and at least started to have the same grade as other squadron mates. The first two promotions come pretty quickly because typically they're, you're moving along with your skills and proving your start in the Air Force was progressing well. Unfortunately, the time between Emmer first class and senior airmen is years. Since I still didn't have a car, I had to take the shuttle bus from Area 2 to the main base to take my uniforms to be cleaned. The shuttle wasn't reliable, and so I would catch the bus to the base and often would have to walk back from the base. It took quite a while, but I had no other option. The road was along a very busy highway. One day I was walking along the road, and a car pulled to the shoulder just ahead of me. It was a blue car with a white top. Only one car on the base was blue with a white top. That was the wing commander. He got out of the car, and I was very nervous. He asked me why I was walking along the road to the base. I told him I had to bring my chef whites to the base laundry, and the shuttle often would not show up or be late, and I had to get back to my base. He told me to get in his car, and he dropped me off at the dorm. He also said, do not walk in the future, and he would fix the problem. I got a letter from the wing commander in December of 1977 telling me that the problem was fixed. I'm posting a photo of that letter. The end of the first year at Nellis was coming to an end, and I am recommended and compete for Airman of the Year. It was pretty cool. My first year at the base, and I was the Airman of the Year. The squadron mates that I was friends with said that there were some 
some, some chatter in the compound because usually the airman of the year is an operator that gets that award. I really didn't think much of it because I was the airman of the quarter already and had completed my seven level career development course in September, which was way ahead of schedule. I was an airman first class and this was normally completed as a staff sergeant. I didn't go home very often because it was expensive and I was pretty new and didn't make that much money. As you'll see in the press clipping for Airman of the Year, my hair is no longer a crew cut. On a trip home, the first thing mom said is, I see you let your hair grow. I said, yes, do you like it? I'm also thinking to myself, and it didn't grow straight out. She said, it was nice. It was at this visit that we were sitting at the table having a traditional cup of tea, and Mom asked me this question. Tom, did we raise you okay? What do you say to your mom? I thought for a few minutes, and remember to this day, I said, Mom, being in the Air Force, I've seen people from rich families and poor ones. I've seen people from cities in the country. I've seen people from large families and who are a single child. My answer is yes. Are there things that we wish we could have done? Yes. Do I think we missed out on some experiences that others had because of the farm? Yes. At the end of the day, we learned the value of a dollar, we learned integrity, and we learned the importance of hard work. That's all you can do. Once you're away from home, it's up to the person. She didn't say much in return, but her facial expression was that she looked comforted. Mom was a very very selfless person. I think as we left home for the world that this weighed heavily on her mind. As spring came around, I figured I needed to do something about getting a driver's license and hopefully saving enough money to buy a car. There was a staff sergeant who lived in the dorm and he agreed to help me get my license. As it came about, I was preparing to get my license in Nevada. I was looking at what kind of car could I afford. I knew it wouldn't be a new car. I learned that Hertz Rent-A-Car sold their fleet cars with a warranty. I think it was a two-year warranty. They were below book and price, refurbished with that warranty. It sounded good to me. On May 7th, my birthday, I get my driver's license and pick up my car. This is awesome. Anyway, I picked up the car in the evening and was driving back to base. It was past dusk, so my lights were on. I'm driving along and someone is flashing their lights at me. I didn't know what that meant, so I continued on my merry way. Soon, I see flashing lights behind me. I pull over to the side of the road and it's a police officer and he walks up to me and says, that did I see, his, did I see him flash his lights at me? I said, yeah. He said, I was flashing my lights at you because your brights were on and they have to be taken off when oncoming cars are in the other lane. Since the lanes were divided by a median, I thought that negated the rule, but I knew not to argue with the officer. Anyway, he asked for my license and registration. He looks at them and says, hey, we had the same birthday. I'm thinking, okay, am I going to get a ticket? Then he says, wait, you got your license today? I said, yes. He said, that means you got your car today. And I said, yes. He said, 
I have to give you a warning. <laughs> I was relieved. I am probably still the fastest person to dim when oncoming traffic is coming toward me. In the next episode, I'll share how I got involved with dairy goats in Nevada and that big event that changed my life. I'm referring to the purple rain that was more like a thunderstorm. Being discarded at birth a long time ago in a land far away brings attention to an organization called Safe Haven Baby Boxes. This organization worked with local and state governments to install a safe place to leave an unwanted child. Each state has different timelines that a woman or a man can do this. We need to help those who cannot help themselves. These wee ones are helpless. As I noted in episode two, this occurs in the United States in 2022. The research says that less than half survive if they are discarded. So this organization puts safe haven boxes where someone can leave the child that they don't want. It's worthy of your consideration. The website is shbb.org. Their slogan is saving babies one box at a time. Please check them out. The Boy in the Trash Can is a production of CSJ Associates.